pull this whole those up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and just give them a high five or a fist pound. Well, you have to get up and go back there. There you go. She'll give it to you, but you're going to have to get up and go back. All right. I enjoyed our Courageous series, and uh, again, thank Aaron and Rodney for uh, putting that uh, lesson series together, and the sermons were awesome. Hope that you grew from it and uh, made some commitments in your life. We're going to have a resolution ceremony soon. Six men have said they want to take that resolution uh, at the end of the Courageous series, and uh, that'll be awesome. So if any of you are still interested in doing that and haven't told Aaron, Aaron, wave at him so they know who you are. He's right up here. So if any of you men want to do that resolution, let Aaron know, and he'll let you know when and where and what have you. I believe with all my heart that our role in Christ is to grow. Would you say yes? Amen? Amen. We must grow. If we do not grow in our faith, in our trust, in our deepening our relationship with God, we're going to be stunted. We're going to be complacent. We're going to think that we're okay. We've arrived. And trust me, friends, none of us have arrived, including me. As much as I want to believe that I've arrived, uh, I just go home and ask Cindy, and she reminds me how I've not arrived yet. And it's awesome. That's, she said, my spiritual gift is to keep you humble. And then she goes on to add, and I do it very well. So you don't have to worry about helping her. She, she does quite well by herself. But I want to talk today in our new series starting Inner Workings. I want to talk today about developing a heart for God. I want to tell you what destroys it and then how to do it. Because it's really important that we do develop that heart for God. Because without it, we don't want to grow. Ladies, can you imagine marrying a man who doesn't want to get your heart? I used to, it still just slays me when a woman will say to a man, I love you, and his only romantic, passionate response is, ditto, ditto, yeah, uh-huh, oh man, I know ladies, it just, you've got passion coming out of your eyes on that response, don't you, ditto. You'd like to ditto him right across. Yeah, I got you. Our society is obsessed with physical appearance. You believe that? Many people spend time at health clubs. One of the fastest growing industries in the country is plastic surgery. People are continually on diets, joining Weight Watchers. Oh, the anointing just left me today. No. Billions of dollars are spent each year in health and the health and fitness industries. Don't misunderstand me. I'm all for 
physical fitness and being in shape. I need to do more of it myself. But God has another standard. When Samuel was looking for a man to succeed Saul as king of Israel, God said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I've rejected him. Man, has, man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 16 this morning, so turn there in your Bibles. We'll, look, we'll hit a few other places, but I've got them up on the screen for you. While man places a high price on the externals, God examines deep within that man for something much more. Man judges one on the basis of one's appearance, but God critiques the heart. I'm so glad that good looks is not required to get to heaven. Because every time I look in the mirror, I know God has a sense of humor. Because when I look in the mirror... I keep thinking, were you asleep? What happened there? <laughs> In the Bible, the, the heart is, was the central organ that controlled all activities determining one's character of living. The heart housed the place where qualities worth having in our lives were first formed. The heart embodies the character of a man. David's heart was right. Oh yeah, he was a skinny little shepherd boy who became king of Israel. The man whom Saul sought and found to Samuel sought and found to succeed Saul. He was a mighty warrior, a valiant general, an inspired leader, successful businessman, skilled marksman, gifted writer. But the thing that impressed God about David was not his ability. It was his availability, his heart. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, it says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will carry out all my will. David allowed God to mold and fashion his heart into that which would be pleasing to God. He focused on his character more than his physical stature. He concentrated on his integrity, not just his outward looks. Can you and I develop a heart for God as David did? And I say yes. Yes. But before we examine how, we need to look at what destroys a heart for God. First of all, What will destroy a heart for God? Our physical heart is positioned by God to provide protection from destructive external forces. In fact, in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. It must be constantly protected to ward off destructive forces. Let me give you a few. Number one, to destroy the heart for God, you focus on success. Success crowds our heart with things and the signs of accomplishment. When we do great things, we think that they are because of us. Amen? Ah, Lord, just, this company is so blessed to have me here. Yeah. So blessed. I don't know about you, but I, I get angry when I listen to these bonuses paid to people who destroy companies. 
and they get these big old massive bonuses. I thought you got a bonus for excelling, not for destroying. But then again, I don't run with the right circles, I guess. Success, it, it puffs us up. Makes us think that we're really something. It counterfeits praise. Because we look at ourselves in the mirror and go, look what I've done. So success can rob your heart, destroy your heart. Secondly is selfishness. Selfishness shrinks our heart to where there's only room for three. Me, myself, and mine. What's the old phrase? What's yours is mine, and what's mine is mine. Yeah. Marriage is a partnership. Have you discovered that husbands and wives? Or ladies, maybe you're married to a man that thinks he can demand things from you and you're just supposed to drop everything and make sure that he's taken care of. Yes, master. Yes, master. In fact, he would prefer that you address him as master. And Lord. Some of you ladies are just about to throw up right now. <laughs> Going from preaching to meddling right quick, didn't we? Selfishness. It becomes grotesque. And we're unable to face life because it alienates the needed life support of others. A third way to destroy your heart is sloth. I love that Bible word. Sloth. It sounds nasty. What is sloth? Inactivity. Laziness. Lack of service. There are Christians today who go to church, hear a message, leave the church. Don't do anything for the church or the Lord the whole week. Come back to church. Listen to the message. Go home. Don't do anything the rest of the week for the Lord or anything else. They come back. Listen. Right? And after a while, they get tired of that routine. They go, well, I don't, you know, there's just nothing there for me. I mean, the guy's been preaching for how long now at our church? I mean, how many more sermons can the man preach? I mean, really. Well, there's still some things to say. Sloth. The heart is like love. It functions to maximize capacity as it pumps out service to other people. If you want to have a vibrant marriage, outdo each other in serving each other. Yeah. In premarital counseling, I always talk about Things that create communication problems. And one of them is, how do you put soap in the washing machine? Do you put the clothes in and then put the soap on top? Or do you put the soap in first and then put the clothes on top? Oh, there's a certain way. And the vignette that I like to show the couple is this couple arguing about that in front of a counselor. The man was doing the laundry. And she was mad because he put the clothes in and the soap on top. Don't you know, idiot, that you put it in first? There's the first problem. You don't call him an idiot. And the second problem is throw your hands up and rejoice that the old boy's doing the laundry. Do you pull the toilet paper over or under? 
These are fighting words now, preacher. Yeah, okay. Hey. I mean, this is big stuff, right? The couples get in, they get mad about. Another thing that robs and, de and destroys the heart is sin. Sin hardens the heart. You see, when we, when we let ourselves get involved in sin and we begin to justify the sin, then we can't go to church because at church they keep talking about sin. I mean, if the preacher would just quit preaching about sin and just tell me how to get along, which soap to use, in or out, over or under, he keeps preaching in sin. He keeps mentioning repentance. He keeps mentioning baptism. He keeps mentioning the cross. And we've got to go on our knees and call out to God. If he just stopped that, things would be a lot better. Sin. It creates to the heart the blackness that a chain smoker's lungs look like. Separates them. From the life source of God Himself. Or, I'll use another illustration. For those of us, those of us that get to the buffet line. And we're like the clump family. Hi, we're the clumps and we're hungry. And so we got our tray and we pick up, we don't pick up the ladle and just put some in. We pick up the whole thing and just start scraping it on the plate, right? Yeah. Till we cover the whole plate. Amen. Sin. Another one. Stress. Stress breaks the heart by placing unnecessary demands on it. I know people who worry, and they worry if they're not worrying about something. You know anybody like that? I mean, they worry. They they're up they're upset. You say, "What's wrong?" I don't know. Something's going to happen, though. I know it is. I, I just know it is. Well, what is it? I don't know, but I know it's going to happen and it's going to be bad. No, I don't feel good. No, no, you don't. Stress is killing you. You've got to learn to relax. Take a deep breath. Count to ten. Walk around the block. Go out and take a deep breath outside. Get some more allergies in you. Come on. Each destructive force is a disease that must be held in check. Now, we've looked at some things that destroy the heart for God. Let's look at some things that help us develop a heart for God. And it involves what concerns our heart should be what concerns the heart of God. There's remedies. There's cures. Based on David's life, the first remedy is to be humble in spite of success. Be humble in spite of success. 1 Samuel 18, 14, David was successful. It says, and, and continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. David first appears on the scene in the Bible to confront and defeat the guy, a, a giant Goliath. He leads Saul's armies into battle with arousing victories. In 1 Samuel 18, 5, it says, David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. He was so successful that the people sang songs to him in, in 1 Samuel 18, 7. Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. David's success is what drove Saul insane with jealousy and envy. Are you so upset that somebody's leading more people to Christ than you are? Are you so mad at them that you're going to go out and you're going to find your own and you're going to bring them to Christ? 
Oh, oh, I'm sorry. That's a spiritual thing. <laughs> Excuse me. We're not in competition to bring people to Jesus, are we? Yeah, we are. We're in competition with the enemy. We are in competition with the enemy. And Jesus has given us some marching orders. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He gave us marching orders. Amen? How are we doing with that? Okay, keep preaching. All right. We learn from David that one can be successful and still have a heart for God. And the answer to make that happen is humility. Humility is simply recognizing the grace and mercy of God. You have what you have because God gives it to you. Harry Truman used to say, I was here by accident and I try to remember where I came from and where I'm going back to. Truman was a studier of history and noted how men who were impressed with themselves were poor leaders and failed to make needed decisions. These, and he called them high hats, these high hats were modern Pharisees whose lives were counterfeit. I see a lot of high hats in the church today. I think they're really important. They walk around with a smugness, a haughtiness, an arrogance. Yeah, I know, I know so much of the Bible, man, I could just put you to shame. And you're the preacher, so I, yeah, I can, I can make you look silly. I could have told you that. In the arena of politics or sports or business, even the religious community teaches us that success and humility often don't mix. But in 2 Samuel 22, 28, it says, You rescue an afflicted people, but your eyes are set against the proud, and you humble them. God will bring you to your knees if he needs to. The problem is we don't want him to. We don't want him to. Because if, if he drives us to our knees, then we're going to have to do something about that. Ran across a quote by John Henry Jowett, preacher of the last century. He said, A man's devotion is apt to dwindle as he becomes more successful. Our piety does not keep pace with our purse. Absorption in bounty makes us forgetful of the giver. We can be so concerned in the pasture that the shepherd is forgotten. Our very fullness is apt to become our foe. Don is absolutely 100% correct. If you are a tither, then you understand what it means. You can write the check, no problem. You can give the money, no problem. Because you know that he's going to bless you. You've seen it happen. You've seen things that are unanswerable in this world that only God can do. Oh, there's several of you that can testify to that. You've seen it happen in your own life. You've watched it happen. We shouldn't use tithing as a means of holding people hostage. Are you with me? Because it's not what I can give you if you tithe. It's what God will give you when you do it. Amen? Good stuff. The greatest test of our character is not adversity, but prosperity. Second thing you need to do to develop that heart for God is be mindful of the shepherd. David is known for many things, but one of the greatest things that he wrote about in the majority of the Psalms, they were written as David sat alone on the Judean hillside tending his flock of sheep. They were expressive words. 
Psalm 34, 3, he says, Proclaim with me the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. You begin to develop a life of praising the Lord. Oh, you're going to find great things happening to you. If you can learn to praise the Lord in the midst of struggle, you're going to find even greater blessings coming to you. Because you've got to develop your trust of God who will then increase the faith that's within you already to the fullest amount. To the point where you'll never doubt him again. And you might say, well, I don't doubt him now. Sure you do. Sure you do. Because you believe. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. If you missed the Sunday school, don't miss it. 9.30, we're going back another half hour later, so I was going to help all of you. We even had a real breakfast this morning. Some of you missed out. It was great. Biscuits, gravy. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Good stuff. Because you never know when that's going to happen. Somebody said, well, there's a lot of donuts left over. I said, yeah, because they're in all the biscuits and gravy. Yeah. But we talked about that this morning. How God will bring to you great things. Your faith will activate because your trust level grows. John used the verse, trust in the Lord with all, in all your ways. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. In Psalm, I mean, 2 Samuel 21, 1, David inquired of the Lord. He knew that his strength came from God. He worshipped. He lifted up the name of God. You see people stand at the street corner with the windows rolled up, and boy, they're just, you know, they're, you know they're singing. I hope they're singing good old praise music because there's nothing better. I get so tired of listening to the doom and gloom of talk radio that I'll flip on KXOJ and I'll find myself just, and I'm just bebopping, feeling better in, in, in 10 minutes. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Amen? But you know what? I don't have to worry about it. Because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel that home in this world anymore. You got to stop on this. Can't feel that home in this world anymore. Yeah, okay, you got it. Some glad morning when this life is old, I fly away. Big wings for some. I was telling a Christian the other night, he only gets one wing because he's skinny. He goes, well, I won't fly straight. I said, not my problem. <laughs> Mind of a kiddo, huh? Psalm 101, verse 3, David said, I will not set anything godless before my eyes. Now tell me we don't need to work on that one. Psalm 119, 38, confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. Third thing you need to do to develop a heart for God is be available in service. Acts 13, 22, again, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will carry out my will. Wouldn't it be great of God if God said that of us? God said that of us. And we'll carry out his will. We have a heart for him. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, that's a developed heart. That's a heart that trusts God no matter what. How you doing with that? If we could eavesdrop, eavesdrop on David's relationship with God throughout his life, we would probably discover a scene every morning of David approaching God saying something like this, reporting for duty, sir. What are my orders today? So tomorrow when you get up, say, Lord, I'm ready to go. Now, for some of us, we need extra angels. And so when my feet hit the floor, he calls the angel core and he says, boys, he's up again. <laughs> and there's usually more than one comes. 
Because I wear them out by noon. You got to have fresh, fresh legs come in at noon. And when I go to sleep, they're all going. And I can see them in their recliner, their heavenly recliner going. And then it's just like a moment passes and God says, whoop, he's up again. <laughs> oh, that's all right, it's just a bathroom run. It's okay, boys, it's all right. <laughs> Acts 13, 36, for David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, fell asleep. It's my hope in life is that I just don't wake up one day. Amen? The answer for sloth is service. Sloth dries up the heart. Service opens a floodgate of life, giving resources to bring energy and power to your heart. Who wants to stick around here after you've finished your assigned responsibility? I don't want to stay here. I'm ready to go. I don't know how many times I've been asked by people that are older and ready to go to heaven. Preacher, why won't he take me home? I don't have an answer. But I asked him to start praying for me. I said, I need your prayers. I need them. The church needs them. So those are prayer warriors, and I want them at the throne of God praying because he hears those prayers. Jack Sanford tells the story of an old well that his family used during the summer vacations in rural New Hampshire. The water was cold and pure and refreshing, and it never dried up even in the worst of summer droughts. And when other people would be forced to go to the lake for water, the Sanford family had only to walk out the front door to the old well, with, which faithfully gave them cold, clear refreshments. Years passed, the family decided to modernize the vacation house. Kerosene lamps replaced with electricity, the old well with, with indoor plumbing and running water, the well covered in order to have a reserve should the occasion ever arise. Many years passed, and one day Sanford became nostalgic for the old well. He goes and he uncovers and looks inside because he wanted to taste that fresh, cold water. And he was shocked because the well was bone dry. He began to ask and discovered what had happened. He learned that that kind of well was fed by hundreds of tiny underground rivulets. And when water is drawn from such a well, more water flows into it through the rivulets, keeping them open and clear. Otherwise, they clog up and they close. And our heart is so much like that. It dries up inside if the living water of God does not flow in. What makes the heart dry is not the absence of God's Spirit, but disuse. Disuse. Unless we go often and regularly to the well, the wellspring of living water, unless we give of ourselves in service, we will become dry and hollow. And there's always something that needs to be done at this church building. Always. Well, well, well preacher, what is it? Well, we put lists out. Put your name beside there. I got a door in the back that had to be nailed shut because it leaked air. <laughs> Tammy tried to get out it the other night. She was upset because she couldn't get out that door. I said, you ain't get out that door. If you get out that door, I'm leaving. <laughs> you strong woman. Samsonette here. She'll take that thing out. But it, it'll just stay like that. Well, preacher, you ain't got nothing to do. You want to replace the whole side of the building? Let me get in there. The next thing we need to do to develop a heart for God is be repentant of sins. 
I love the Bible for many reasons, but one is in particular, it doesn't cover up anybody's sins or faults. We get a clear picture of everybody's sin in the Bible, amen? God used some scandalous people to do great things, didn't he? If God can use a donkey to preach, then perhaps he could use me. He used Balaam's donkey to preach to Balaam. So if he can use a donkey to preach, he might be able to use me. Am I available? 2 Samuel 12, 13 says, I have sinned against the Lord. David was a great repenter. Psalm 51 is, is his confessional chapter. It's powerful. Repentance occurs by not just feeling sorry for sin, but when we turn away from sin. The question is, are you turning away from sin? Are you repenting of known sin? David prays in Psalm 51 and verse 10, God created me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Are you at least getting to the cleansing part yet? Are you just going to still be the same way you've always been because that's just the way it is and that's the way I've grown to be? Yeah, I don't necessarily want to go any deeper. Do we understand what meditating on Scripture means? Does it, do, do we understand that? Do we understand what it means to go deeper with God? Do we understand what it means to trust God with all your heart, with all, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him? Do we understand that? Well, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Well, how, often do you, how often do you pray? How often do you see the house shake when you pray? Well, it's never shook. Hmm. Get back on your knees. Get back on your knees. The next thing we need to do to develop a heart for God is be trusting in our Savior. It's amazing how the Sunday school class in this went together, and I didn't plan it that way. David experienced constant stress, constant, constant stress. Stress breaks even the sturdiest of hearts. But David had a remedy, trust in the living God. Look what he says in 2 Samuel 22, 1 through 4. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my mountain, where I seek refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. You saved me from violence. I called to the Lord who's worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. Amen. And amen. What David was basically saying here is that I pray, I trust, and then I keep on moving. I pray and I trust and I keep on moving. And if you mess up, and you will mess up. Get up. It's not getting knocked down. It's staying down. Get up. Get up. And quit living in the past and start looking to the future because God has called you upward in Christ Jesus. Get up and move out. Get up and do something for God. Elizabeth Cheney wrote a poem over... Overheard in an orchard. Listen to this. Said the sparrow, the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. How do you stand the test of life's battles? Do you get stressed out or do you trust? Because the battles in life come. Hudson Taylor wrote, It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer His heart. 
when my children needed reassurance, they would come and get close to my chest. Now, I would always just take them and push them away. I'd sink or swim, dude, get out there. They'll know you're in a man. That's what I used to do. Yeah, you know I'm lying, don't you? Because if they're going to come, I'm going to wrap my arms around them and let them know that the arms of Jesus are just like this. He hides us in the cleft of the rock. Amen. He's like an eagle's wing. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So as you expose your heart to the master physician, what will the x-rays show? What will the x-rays show? Father, I ask you this morning to reveal yourself to us. Father, I ask you to melt some hearts that are hardened, challenge some hearts that need you touch some lives that need to be re-energized but God they'll never be re-energized as long as they're trying to call all the shots we must trust you and activate the faith that's in within all of us that are believers in you and because of that, every step of the way, we'll see you. We'll see you. We'll see you. Oh, God, would my heart be yours? When I say no to sin and yes to the promptings of your spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen today. Amen. Let's sing an invitation song. Just the chorus of there's room.